listening to Cloud9 Fin, a podcast on all things leveraged finance. We follow corporate debt from issuance to redemption, credits from performing to distressed, and everything in between. I'm Alice, I'll be taking over as host for this week in London, and I'm joined by Olivia, a fellow legal analyst. So thanks for joining us today, Olivia. Thank you for having me, Alice. So today we'll be speaking about the much-loved J. Crew blocker, and it has definitely become a buzzword in leverage finance, and we've heard a lot of chatter about it in the market, and sort of investors pushing to include it in their like final deck documentation, both in high-yield bonds and syndicated loans. And our aim today is to demystify the meaning of the blocker, because although the inclusion of the J. Crew blocker is on the rise, the actual strength of it varies. So I'll pass over to Olivia to provide more context. Thanks, Alice. So one important point to keep in mind before we start is that restricted payments, which I'm going to refer to as RP and permissive investment, which I'm going to refer to as PI capacity, are essentially synonymous. And the reason for that is that the RP covenant practically always contains a carve out that allows the equity of unrestricted subsidiaries to be distributed. So what that means is that general PI capacity can be used to invest in unrestricted subsidiaries. And then the carve out is used to distribute that value upstream. So really, they should be treated as the same. Um, and so general PI capacity is sort of like dividend capacity. Some background on J.Crew as well. So this protective provision arose in reaction to the J.Crew transaction. So many of our listeners will know, but a big picture summary of the transaction is that J.Crew used its PI capacity to transfer 70% of its trademarks to an unrestricted subsidiary. And since the unrestricted subsidiary is not bound by covenants, the trademarks no longer secured the outstanding 1.5 billion term loans, and J.Crew was able to raise 300 million notes and conduct a discounted pick note exchange. So the intended purpose of the J.Crew really is to block value leakage from the restricted group in certain situations, uh, so really preventing that transfer of value to an unrestricted sub, which then is no longer governed by the covenant and allows the issuer to sort of uh, raise debt on the collateral, exactly how J.Crew did. Certain common weaknesses we see in J.Crew blockers are number one, that it's typically limited to material IP. So it doesn't cover any other types of assets a lot of the time. And in fact, depending on the definition of material IP, it can be even more restrictive than what you would consider material IP potentially at first glance. So Covis Farm is a really good example of this. The J. Crew blocker was limited to material patents, but the definition of material patents only covered five products and also only applied if each individual product uh, represented more than 10% of total revenues. So the five products in question that were covered by the material patents definition did represent a huge amount of revenue, it was 93% at the time of the issuance. But one of those products was already losing market share due to a generic version of the drug on the market. And the patent was also expiring in 2023. For broader context as well, the company was also highly acquisitive. So there's two potential issues there. First of all, limiting the J. Crew blocker to those five products is sort of questionable generally. The revenue for that one product was already on the decline. So a more practical J.Crew blocker would have been looking to cover all material patents or IP. And secondly, that 10% of total revenue threshold test means that if the product does not generate more than 10% total revenue, of course, it falls out of the scope of the J.Crew blocker. With that broader context of the company being so acquisitive, that shift to a product no longer falling within that 10% of total revenues felt like a very tangible possibility. And a second common weakness we see is that sometimes the J.Crew blocker only covers PIs when really you'd want it to apply to all restricted payments. So it sounds like it's all well and good pushing to include a J.Crew blocker, but the real crux of the matter is the strength of that blocker and the available restricted payment and permitted investment capacity. And interestingly, we've actually seen further deterioration of the blocker in, in loan docs specifically. And there's a tendency for drafting or terms to 
drift over from loan docks into sort of bond land. So it's always you know good to keep an eye on, on um, both sides um, where possible. Um, and a lot of A&Es have come to the market this year and some sponsors have added a J Crew blocker that wasn't necessarily present in the existing SFA or deal. So for example, we looked at one deal that came through, uh, which had a J Crew blocker, but it only blocked the transfer of material IP. So exactly what uh, Olivia was just saying, but it was material IP owned by entities incorporated in a security jurisdiction in the restricted group to an unrestricted subsidiary. And on top of that, it only blocked the transfer for the primary purpose of incurring debt. So, uh, well, at that unrestricted subsidiary. So in other words, a drop-down financing. Um, so to break this down even further, there's no cap or there's typically no cap on transfers between guarantors or security jurisdictions to non-guarantors, non-security jurisdictions within the restricted group. Um, so in theory, the company could transfer the IP from a guarantor to a non-guarantor um, and then that non-guarantor or non-security jurisdiction can then transfer that IP outside of the restricted group to that unrestricted subsidiary. So this would be an, a way, at least, to circumvent the blocker. Of course, you know whether this would actually um, be challenged as a sham probably relies upon timing, but the substantial whole remains in the blocker nonetheless. And additionally, if the IP was being transferred for the purposes of paying a dividend, then this also wouldn't be prevented. And of course, you know, the ability to move assets outside of the group still relies on there being RP and PI capacity in the first place. So focus should not really be taken off reducing capacity. Um, but luckily, this formation didn't make it free marketing in this deal. Um, so that distinction between non-security jurisdiction and security jurisdiction was removed, um, sort of fill in that hole. Uh, but we have seen it crop up um, in others. And again, you know, the key takeaway here is that it's no longer just a tick box exercise to say that the company has a jQuery blocker because of sort of the deficiencies here and the ones that Livia mentioned also. But on the bright side, we've been seeing some much stronger formulations of jQuery blockers over the past months. Decro is one example. So for some background on the deal, it was a public to private deal. And for that reason, the term sheet was publicly disclosed, but it was a private credit deal. And the formulation of the jQuery blocker was very strong. So it applied to not only material IP leakage freer RPs and investments, it also applied to asset sets outside of the restricted group, which in effect meant that no transfers of material IP to unrestricted subsidiaries were possible. Um, and secondly, it also had a clause that said no entity which owns material IP may be designated as an unrestricted subsidiary. We've seen this in bonds before, but it's still pretty unusual. But more importantly, we saw some really restrictive language on general RP and PI capacity that can be used to invest in unrestricted subsidiaries. So first of all, that exception I mentioned earlier, the carve out of all of the equity of unrestricted subs, like uncapped, that was deleted from the deal or proposed to be deleted in a term sheet. And then secondly, certain permitted investment baskets had wording that prevented them from being used to invest in unrestricted subsidiaries. So that applied to the ratio based basket, general basket and similar business investment baskets. We really haven't seen that kind of restrictive language in high yield bonds or broadly syndicated loans so far. So the DECRA formulation really is some of the strongest language we've seen around value leakage in a document, um, basically prevents material IP from leaving the group. And that restrictive wording in the investment baskets means investment capacity really is what people think of when thinking of investment baskets. It can't be used to easily make upstream payments or move collateral away from original lenders to raise new debt. So investments remain investments, not RPs. Exactly. 
Yeah, so there was a, a similar formulation in Adler Pelzer, which is a deal from uh, earlier this year. And by way of a bit of background, it came to market with sort of a, a withering cash flow performance, thin margins, and they sort of managed to do a full refinancing alongside an equity injection with quite a juicy OID. And ultimately, it might be one of the tightest docs we've seen in recent years. Um, and it had the same J.Crew drafting um, as Decra, um, and it had really limited RP and PI capacity. So even if it wanted to transfer value to an unrestricted subsidiary, they'd struggle to find that capacity in the first place, which is probably quite unusual in today's market. And particularly as, like, like Decra, it also removed the provision permitting the equity of unrestricted subsidiaries to be distributed. Yeah, so let's see if the Decra standard takes off um, <laughs> in future deals. But uh, one last example I think is worth mentioning is Amara and Zero. So that's the first bond deal we've seen where the blocker doesn't apply just to material IP, but actually to all material assets, which, as you would expect, means assets that are material to the operations of the business as a whole. And that's really taking the, the J.Crew blocker a step further and turning it into almost like a general value leakage blocker as opposed to being a reaction to what J.Crew did in 2016. So on that note, the key takeaways from all this are that the focus should always remain on the actual RP and PI capacity that can be transferred in the first place. Every high yield bond and leverage loan has RP and PI capacity that can be used to pay dividends, drop down financings. Lenders probably just want to make sure that it's not excessive so it can be abused. And secondly, the strength of the J Crew blocker really depends on a formulation. It probably isn't enough just to check whether a deal has a J Crew blocker. You really want to know how extensive that J Crew blocker is and checking how much protection it offers you. And on that note, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for tuning in and please let us know if you have any feedback. We'd love hearing from our listeners and you can reach us anytime by emailing team at ninefin.com. Check in next week to hear the latest on the US markets and the Ninefin team will be back the week after that. So see you then.